We are joined by our science expert, Dan Riskin, on a Test Tube Thursday. Nice to have you. Great to talk to you. understand you've got a moon rover story, or what's this one about? Oh, well, I know. It's getting busy up there. And so now yeah. when I say, this stuff is happening on the moon, people are like, okay, I've heard. You know, what, what is it this time, Dan? But this time, hear me out. So okay. last month, there was supposed to be a private company landing on the moon, and it did not go according to plan. That, that attempt, called Peregrine, uh, failed. And so uh, basically once it got launched from Earth and then as it was headed towards the moon and it fired its thrusters, a nozzle broke, the thing burst its fuel tank, it leaked all its fuel, and then it came tumbling back to Earth and burned up in the atmosphere. So that, that was not what they wanted to have happen. But parallel to their efforts, a different company has been attempting the same thing. And they launched on uh, 15 of February, about a week ago, and they are scheduled to land on the moon today at 5.30 p.m., and if this one works, it will be the first landing by uh, an American lander in more than 50 years. 1972 is the last time the U.S. landed on the moon. So it's a big deal, and it would be the first private company to land on the moon. This one uh, is called Intuitive Machines. The lander is called Odysseus, uh, and it's got a bunch of bells and whistles. It's very different from the last attempt because it's a different company. They're doing different things. NASA has built some instruments that that are integrated into it to test some of their technologies for the ultimate people going to the moon landings. Um, but it's also got some fun stuff. Like it's wrapped in this material from Columbia Sportswear, um, which is this Omni Heat Infinity reflective technology that is in their jackets. And they're kind of doing it as a promotion to show, hey, look, it's warm enough for you because we can use it for a moon lander. And that's kind of fun. It's this gold colored fabric uh, that you can also buy a jacket made out of this stuff. Um, there's a Jeff Koons sculpture aboard. So Jeff Koons is famous for these balloon animal statues made out of stainless steel. Um, he's got uh, some sculptures of the moon that he's included, so that's neat. There's some art. Um, but the best part is that as this thing is coming in for a landing, it's going to throw a another piece of machinery kind of out the window away from itself. And this other thing is going to fall down to the surface and record with video cameras the landing so that there, you'll get like a third person view of the landing as it's happening. This thing's called Eagle Cam. It was designed and built by students. I don't know if it'll work, but they're going to try. And uh, and so anyway, it should be pretty fun around 530 to see what's happening. And there's going to be live feeds and all that stuff. So it's a moon rover that can do its own selfies. It's a moon lander that could do its own selfies. I don't think this thing's going to be able to drive around. It's just got feet. Yeah, it's not going to rove, but it is going to self. Okay. Tell me about these zombie fires, because here we are in the depths of winter, and apparently we still have forest fires. Yeah, there's a kind of fire that has been getting more and more frequent where... In the north, where there's a ton of peat, like a lot of organic material under the snow, and under the snow, it's not as cold as it is standing on top of the snow, right? So it could be minus 40 up above, but under the the packs of snow, it's not that cold. And these layers of peat, uh, they're well oxygenated. They they, They can stay warm enough that a fire can burn in them. And so you end up with this really weird phenomenon where it's the middle of winter, it's freezing cold, but there's smoke coming out of the ground. And they call them zombie fires because they just won't die. And they're basically impossible to put out because what are you going to do? I mean, if you your hose didn't freeze while you were trying to put it out up at the surface, uh, it's uh, it's underground. It's got tendrils in all the directions. It's impossible to put out. There's just too many parts of it. And so and it, an ember, it, it picks up again. So 
for the most part, we don't really have a way to put these things out. And in a normal year uh, in BC, there might be five of these. Uh, this year, there are more than 100 of them. Uh, Alberta is seeing more of these things. And it's, it's thought to be linked to increasing temperatures. But I was reading about these, and there was a really a quote that really got me. Uh, it's this uh, person in Fort Nelson, a woman who's a firefighter there. And she said, you've never experienced a snowstorm that smells like smoke. But the, there she is in minus 40, it's snowing, and it smells like smoke. And what a, what a strange experience that must be. This reminds me, I remember reading years ago about a coal mine in Pennsylvania that's been mm. burning since, I think, like 1962. Yeah, I can't remember what the name of that place is, but that is, uh, there are a lot of people that are like into dark tourism that love going to weird places but yeah there was this coal mine in it's in pennsylvania and there was a town on top of it and something somehow it started i think it was somebody started the fire on purpose or something they thought they were gonna i don't know why they started the fire but it's never gone out and it's been burning ever since and the city's been abandoned as a result and people but a lot of tourists will go there and check it out and there are all these abandoned buildings and there's smoke coming out of the ground it's apparently a very eerie place and for those who do enjoy actually i was talking to a guy who lives in toronto not too long ago uh, who you know went there on a, on a whim he thought it'd be really funny he was driving near the area they made a detour and they checked the place out and they said it was really fascinating uh, Centralia I just googled it Centralia there it is. yeah that's a, what it's called the Centralia mine a ghost town in Pennsylvania okay so uh, scientists have identified the optimal temperature for life on earth I would have to assume we're there yeah, this is a, a weird paper, but I, I like that they're trying new things. Uh, basically, is there an optimal temperature for life on Earth? It, it's a weird question because, like, polar bears have an optimal temperature that's very low, and, you know, a lot of tropical animals have optimal temperatures that are very high. Desert animals have t optimal temperatures that are even higher than that. But often biologists try to come up with these universal rules. And so what they've done is they've looked at the diversity of animals. They've noticed that although in the past we've always said that things get more diverse, you have different Different kinds of animals it's highest at the at the equator their analysis suggests that it's not actually at the equator that it's highest that it's actually just north and just south of the equator that it's highest where the temperature centers around 20 degrees celsius not hotter and they offer a bunch of different uh, you know observations but the most compelling thing that they notice is that some animals can handle a range of temperatures and some animals have a very narrow temperature that they can handle and what they find is that most animals that have a narrow range of temperatures it's right at 20 degrees and if you have like a polar bear can handle quite a large range of temperatures uh, that doesn't include 20, well, that does include 20 degrees Celsius, but they can also handle these cold temperatures, but a lot of tropical fish can't. So I'm not sure that it's this universal rule that you can sort of write down and, and use in your life every day, but they're looking for these universal rules. And as the temperatures go up in the world, you know, thinking about how that affects all the different animals that live here. Okay. One last story. Astronomers finding what could be the universe's brightest object, and it's Dan Riskin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is most definitely not. Um, this is a quasar. And so a quasar is a, in the middle of a, if you imagine the Milky Way like a spiral galaxy, at the middle of it, there's a black hole. And uh, if you get a really big black hole in the middle of a galaxy that's pulling in material, sometimes as that material gets accelerated, it gives off light because there's so much energy as it's getting ripped apart. And those are called quasars. And they've found one very, very far away that is 500 trillion times brighter than our sun. Um, 
Jonathan Amos is a writer for the BBC. He he put it this way. He said, everything about this object is astonishing. It's 12 billion light years away. So it's almost as old as the whole universe. It's 500 trillion times brighter than our sun. And basically it's ripping a whole sun worth, like our sun, it's ripping a sun's worth of material and pulling it into itself every single day. So that's why it's giving off so much light. And astronomers love finding weird things like this. And we used to think it was a star, but we've realized it's actually not a close star, but a very, very far away, very, very bright thing. Thank you, sir. Good to have you this morning. Thank you. That's our science expert, Dan Riskin.